0: Welcome to Veterans in Academics. This podcast highlights people and topics where the veteran experience and academia overlap. Join your host, Dr. Luke McCleese, in this groundbreaking content. Each week, we explore new stories, topics for you. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Veterans and Academics. I'm your host, Dr. Luke McLeese, and today we have a very special guest, Brigitte McCoy. Brigitte, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's great to be here with you today, Luke.
0: Thank you. We're, we're so excited to have you, and I can't wait for all the listeners to learn more about you and all the great work that you're doing. Ms. McCoy, to start us off, can you tell us uh, just a couple sentences about yourself, ma'am?
1: Well, I am currently a doctoral student at Georgia State University uh, in instructional technology. Uh, I have a background in instructional uh, design and uh, cl- I was clergy for a minute and worked in uh getting an understanding of business. And so I'm bridging kind of the instructional design, educational technology and uh, business and innovation and entrepreneurship in my, uh, in my doctoral work. So, and I'm an army veteran.
0: <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I love it. I love it. And a smart move. I mean, everybody's going for online educational design, right? If it's not formal education, then people are always putting up some kind of content where they want others to learn. So I love it and I can't wait to hear more about uh, what you plan on researching. So Bridget, so your time in the army and your, and your time in higher education and now as a doctoral student, can you tell us based off all this, what you see that veterans are currently doing well in higher education?
1: Well, they are enrolling and utilizing their GI benefits. Uh, it it seems to be that that is something that we are doing well. We're aware of the benefits. We're uh, entering the educational system, and we're continuing our education after military service. And so, I think that that's one area that we're doing well. Uh, I I could see that there's some areas uh, that that could be cultivated where with mentoring and uh, uh, support that uh, you know, we could potentially build from, uh, but as far as like, you know, entry, we got that. We, ha- we understand how to go back to school, you know, to, to utilize those, those benefits. Um, I think that this, this generation of veteran, especially um, understand the importance of transitioning and utilizing um, every avenue um, that, that's been afforded to, to them to, uh, to be successful post-military transition
0: absolutely I couldn't agree more with that you know I'm noticing that in my day job role younger and younger we're getting calls from from people who've just been in a year or two years and they're saying okay well I'm planning on going to school and you know my thought is man when I was in I never thought like that I thought okay I've got to do this this you know and once I'm done with this then I can move on and uh, you're right it seems more and more people are planning ahead being prepared um, you know, hitting the ground running, so to speak, unlike I think some generations before where it was like, okay, I'm out of the military. Now what, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, uh, but also you said, uh, we can we can build on some things like support. And, you know, I think that's interesting that you pointed that out because I agree there as well. You know, universities and colleges are doing way better with support than they have in the past, however, as a veteran population, we could also tell the faculty and tell the staff, like, "Hey, here, here's what we need. Here's, here's actually what we're experiencing, and try to get uh, someone to meet us halfway."
1: Yeah, I think that the, you know that the that most educational institutions are very welcoming uh, to to the military uh, community, the veteran community. And I, I feel like there's opportunities, especially as it relates to, you know, disability services, um, you know, the military family, uh, uh, you know, people juggling, you know, concurrent service and, you know, military, uh, uh, you know, academic expression, you know, getting involved in academics. I think that there's there's some opportunities to really, um, you know, push the envelope, develop some more uh, research so that we can you know right. show that there's a need for for you know uh, more in, and I'm gonna say individualized but I mean individualized from the perspective of the military uh, identity right uh, for right. for uh, across the country I know that there are some universities uh, uh that state universities that are doing, you know, uh, educational programming that is focused on uh, training and developing the next generation of leaders who will support, you know, military transitioning professionals. Uh, but that we could definitely, um, you know, as the leadership in our own in our community, we could definitely move that ball forward a little bit faster uh, by having more of us, you know, doing research in the veteran uh, population. Uh, engaging um, faculty and staff with you know, opportunities to get engaged um, and bridge those relationships um, with the DOD and uh, with the, with the v- veteran population. Some university, my university is doing that to some degree uh, in some areas. And so, <laughs> but I do know that like Georgia Tech, Georgia State, you know, those organizations here locally are and I, and I do see other organizations uh, um, doing that type of work. But I do see that, like, specifically women veteran, moral injury, uh, polytrauma, you know, disabilities, you know, Section 508, you know, especially with regard to educational, um, you know, focusing from an educational perspective, like, there, those are areas we absolutely need more, you know, uh, you know, eyeballs on. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> right,
0: right, right, right. And so when you started off answering that, I like how you said, you know, from the, from the veteran and military transition perspective first, because then, you know, later you mention all these and it's so true. It's like, this is a very unique aspect. You know, we're, we're the most diverse minority in the United States, right? So, mm-hmm. so the, the military connection is just part one. And then all the cross sections that could potentially go along with that. And you're right. It gets to the point where it's like a funnel, you know, and and putting labels on these things might help us in our research or might help us with others. But then, you know, you said it as well. At the end of the day, it's still going to be very individual for everyone because, you know, the sum total of all these different experiences and perspectives. So I love that. So. Let me ask you, because you kind of, you kind of an answered this, but is there anything that you would, that you would see that VETS could improve beyond this? Is there anything else?
1: I, I you know, because of the work that I've been doing for the past 13 years, um, and and I started out in academics uh, with the work, my, my nonprofit actually was a, a graduate school project uh, that Launched me out of graduate school and into okay. the nonprofit sector. Um, I didn't. I did not complete my doctor my uh, master's thesis because I was so heavily entrenched in the work. And and at you know from 2009 or so, it's been you know just this this um, kind of slow burn or slow start to focusing on women, uh, women military, women veteran, um, the needs of black and brown uh, service members. Uh, military sexual trauma and the impact to uh you know the the military culture the military identity like all of those things we, we have like so many different areas that we could spend you know the next 20 years potentially uh you know um, aggregating all the data and and, right. and having you know conversations uh, and so those are you know, those are just some of the some of the areas. I'm, you know, more centered on you know intersectionality uh, and uh, technology, instructional technology. Those are, you know, always going to be my <clears throat> kind of you know areas that I I lean in pretty heavily with. But with but from the lens of uh, being a black woman, uh, disabled, you know, veteran uh, veteran identity. Um, person, so I, you know, I, I hope that I, w- I kind of like laid a foundation because I could go way into some other things, but I want to make sure I'm going in the right direction with <laughs> this conversation.
0: No, absolutely. <laughs> let's let's come back to it. I I hope I, I think I'm guessing we're going to come back to it when we start talking about some of your work. So let's definitely get into detail. But you know, because this, like you like you said, we've come a long way with all these topics, right? And and we need to. However, there's still a long way to go. Uh, I really feel like with MST, military sexual trauma, that's really just come to a head in the past couple of years. However, it's something that has probably always existed in the military, right? Uh, when you were talking about black and brown populations, well, our, our demographics of the military, while the hierarchy is still very much like the, the white systematic type structure, our overall populations are increasing right so it's like people have always been there but now the need is increasing even more so yeah it, it's it's a good start <laughs> but we've got we've got a long 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 way to go so Bridget you men- Bridget you mentioned earlier that you are a veteran of the army can you tell us can you tell the listeners all like what motivated you to join the army? What were you thinking about? What, what was going on in life? And then when you got to the army, what was your job? What kind of, what kind of the stuff did you do in the army?
1: Yeah. So I went in the military in the late eighties, um, under the delayed entry program. Do they still even have that? Oh yeah. yeah <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I went in, I signed up, um, you know, my, the, the beginning of my senior year. So, uh, I knew I was going in the military. Uh, to, you know, my parents didn't necessarily want me to go in the military. Um, they had ideas of me, you know, being a nurse or something of that nature. So uh, I I went in um, and my job field was data telecommunications. Okay, yes, computers. I love computers. Um, even back then, uh, you know, I took a computer class in, uh, in coding uh, this, like I said, the, the 80s, this is when Apple, you know, was just getting started. Right. <laughs> and so, and and I was, I was there for it, right? I was like, oh, let's, let me get into this. And so when I went in, <clears throat> I thought um, that, you know, edu- academics, education, getting an a- education, getting training for, you know, the job force, and of course, money to go to school right. uh, and travel. Those were like my, my big, big bigs. Um, And people ask me, they're like, you were that focused at, at that age. I think that was like the only area I was probably focused in. (laughs) I was still a kid, you know, I was still 18. So I still, you know, didn't necessarily have all the pieces, but I understood very well um, based on, you know, I I grew up in South Central LA, you know, my grandmother had went to college late in her life as a grandmother to get her nursing degree. My aunt had her nursing degree. You know, my uncle had his uncle his his nursing degree. So I was around people who, you know, who had education and right. had, you know, professional um, designations and things of that nature but again, I grew up in South Central LA. So there was a lot, you know, there's th- this, this dichotomy, right? You know, if you've seen Boys in the Hood, okay, that was the era that I grew up in. Right. And So, you know, it was like, a, it was like a, a, a choice, like, do what direction do you go in? You know, do you stay here and kind of get caught up in the things that are going on? Or do you, you know, launch into something else? And so I wanted something else. And I saw the military as being able to give me you know, I, I had hopes to, you know, go to officer candidate school and to, you know, move from enlisted to officer and, you know, have my master's degree before I complete my, you know, my tour of duty. Um, those things did not happen, um, although I did begin that you know, to engage in, in education. First 90 days of, of being in, you know, uh, country, I was signing up for courses and doing course oh, correspondence wow. classes and trying to you know, make sure that I was going to advance because um, uh, that was just, you know, my mindset was like, if they're going to feed me, give me <laughs> a place to stay and, 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 and let me take these classes pretty much for free. I better, you know, maximize that. So, right, uh, yeah. So yeah.
0: Very, very smart. Very smart. And I'm glad you had that opportunity. Uh, you know, and I, I would like to point out, so we have an international listener base and I want to point two things out. Number one, I would say in this time era that you're talking about, in the military, education wasn't pushed like it was, like it is today, right? So, so you're saying that you wanted to take all these courses and you were signing up for everything that you could. That really shows a lot of initiative and drive on your part you know, to, to better yourself and to get those things that could possibly lead to promotion. I don't think they counted then like they do now, yeah, but, no. you know, so that speaks volumes of, of you really taking advantage of all that there was and then having the foresight to plan for the future. Yeah. And I would also like to point out to the listeners that when you mentioned uh, Southeast LA and you said you entered in the military in the mid-80s, right? right. So the mid-80s to the '90s, early 90s, for those who aren't familiar with uh, U.S. pop culture. Actually, most people are familiar with most all the are. all the stuff we don't want them familiar with. This is the time when uh, Southeast LA was probably at its pinnacle of violence.
1: There was violence. You know, there was a mix of things. And and you know, uh, I grew up in a in a very middle class um, kind of you know pinpointed area. But if I went three blocks up, you know, I was hitting. You know, there was you know gangs and drugs and all of that. And then if I left my house and turned to the left and you know went three blocks south, same type of thing. So it was just like we were just kind of like in this idyllic little spot where the lawns were manicured and people took care of everything. But you know, all around us, you know, there were you know there was a lot of you know other things going on that could you know potentially you know death and violence were were there. I mean, there were great things going on. People were you know volunteering and doing things in the community. But at the same time, there was all these other things that could definitely distract you and get you down a wrong path.
0: Yes. Right. 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 So to to leave some of that and then to fulfill some of your ambitions, you joined the Army. And tell us where where were you stationed when you were in?
1: So I was stationed in um which is a whole nother funny story is I thought I was going to K- K-Town. I was so excited. I had orders to K-Town. So when I left um, uh, to go to come to Europe, uh, they changed my orders and they sent me to Zweibrucken. I had never even heard of Zweibrucken. And so I, that's where I'm, you know, I did uh, three years. That was my main uh, duty station. And then I was, um, assigned within that assignment, uh, and I don't remember what it's called, but I was assigned to, uh, Misao, um, okay. Army Depot. So I, I did a year, um, at Misao and a year, two year, two and a half years at, uh, at, um, Zweiburken. I almost said K-Town. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it was a very small, um, you know, uh, location. Uh, we had a sister site, which was the Air Force. Um, they had a data telecommunications site um, just over the, the bridge and that's Zweibrook and two bridges. Uh, and so, you know, it, there was not a lot to do on Zweibrook and probably which w- would have helped me to, to move forward with the education. Um, you know, I had the unfortunate situation of military sexual trauma and some harassment and things like that that happened pretty quickly within my time um at my duty station so it became um you know one of those things of trying to balance or counterbalance like you know now that this has happened how am I going to maintain my career um how am I going to hold on to my my dreams and my goals and you know what is this going to you know to do you know how is this going to slow me down um from 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 the you know the plans that I had for myself and so um you know, I didn't let it slow me down, you know, in my thinking, I didn't let it slow me down, because I was like, I'm still staying in, I'm working toward, you know, getting promoted, I'm still, you know, in leadership. Um, But I I can look back and say that, that, you know, it's kind of like a pebble in your shoe. Like you, you don't necessarily, it doesn't stop you, right? But there's a slow slowing down and a, and a little bit of a gnawing pain that starts to happen. And it's, at some point it becomes so unbearable that you just have to sit down and like either figure out how to get it out of your shoe or, um, you know, just learn to walk with a limp.
0: Right, well, and you know, I, I like that analogy. I mean, I don't, you know, like it, but I I yeah. think you, you did a great job sharing with us what that's like. And I, I would also say, I think, when we're younger, uh, you know, and and especially like in your position being very, very busy, it's easy for us to kind of, or it's easier for us to kind of compartmentalize some of these things. And like you're saying like, okay, I've got to go on. I've got X, Y, and Z to do. And maybe, you know, at night you think about trauma once in a while when you're completely bored or and everything is slowed down. You know, I I think that's how it happens when we're younger. However, as time goes on, Um, right, and maybe, maybe that pebble is getting more irritating, Uh, maybe the blister on the foot's getting bigger, but that starts to creep out a little more and a little more, right? Or I think uh, later in life, if that's to happen, it's, it's more kind of blatant in our psyche than when we're young. However, when we're young, uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, what, what happens for us to kind of, I want to deal with these things
1: brush it off you know right right (laughs) Right.
0: and that's and that's you know that's I think some of that too is is the location you know when we're in the military for one I mean what you're describing is extremely complex uh for women however all trauma too it's like an all sickness and all even minor injury it's, we're typically encouraged not to, uh, not to tell Drink anybody. Drink some water. Exactly. Take
1: a Motrin. That's you know? right. That's right. <laughs> Motrin,
0: water, and change your socks and change go your on. socks. I forgot the first <laughs> thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think it's interesting, you know, later in life when people talk to uh, someone and they're like, well, why didn't you do x y and z i think i've even i think i've even told that to a counselor before as like well cuz i was just supposed to take motrin drink stay hydrated and change my socks yeah you know
1: and and that's part of our culture and so you know um and that is that becomes ingrained in our our, our veteran um, status and identity um in how we interact with you know on, on an academic level um, with our professors and you know the the student body you know, that we're going, we're having a challenge. We won't ask for help. We won't, you know, <clears throat> we, we need to be out because of a surgery or something. We'll try to figure out all these other things before just going to the professor and saying, hey, I've, I've got a legitimate thing that's <laughs> happening and I need to, you know, not have my home, you know, turn in my homework later, you know, or like in my case, it was a year before I went to disability services and it was at the prompting of my boss at the time because um, I was a, a graduate res- uh, research assistant. And he said, you haven't gone to you know, disability services? And he said, we work with them every, every day. And I said, yeah, you know, I go over there to do work, but no, I hadn't, you know, I hadn't even crossed my mind to like, do the paperwork. And he's just looking at me like, how is that possible? You know, right. and, and, but that's just that thing. We are so, it's so ingrained to take care of others. It's so ingrained to um, be selfless. Um, especially the army, um, just feels like, you know, army folks just has like this, you know, we just got to suck it up kind of thing. Maybe, you know, that might be, that might be old language. I don't know what's use, being used now, but, you know, uh, embrace the suck, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know, <laughs> those were just some of the, you know, that was just some of the languaging and, you know, the language followed that behavior and that thought pattern. And we, you know, we lived that out. And then we bring it into the civilian sector back into the educational institutions. And so, you know, part of this doing things in a better way is that, you know, us old heads, we have to shift how we um, interact with other um, veteran and military personnel, because things have changed considerably, you know, it's not acceptable to have certain behaviors and, uh, you know, treating, you know, people, humans um, in a certain way within the, you know military workforce because see that's that's a different language right than what we <laughs> had right? <laughs> right so it's important to you know to begin that shift that mental shift and begin to look at things intersectionally um and and you know apply some of these theories in our our academic work so that we can help support the department of defense and uh the, the veteran population and be, being, you know, transitioning better, but also those ancillary, um, ancillary uh, uh, services that are out here, like the VA and, uh, you know, community programs, to be better toward um, including and being more inclusive, and expecting to see a more inclusive, um, you know, transitioning workforce. You know, seeing women and uh, disabled persons, and like I said, Black and Brown people. Um, LGBTQ communities, um, like, like all of that, is part of the military and part of the veteran community. And if your organization, as an education institution, is does not reflect that, then you have to say, well, why not? Well, what what are we what are we doing to um, to attract or repel people of diverse backgrounds, right? So Absolutely. those are things that we have to really pay attention to as academics, um, um going forward. And that's, uh, like I said before, an area of, you know, exploration that, you know, for myself, you know, as I begin this, this process, I just started my, uh, doctoral, uh, journey.
0: Oh, uh, good times.
1: Yeah. This, this semester, um, I started in the summer cause I'm a glutton for a punishment. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, you know, this might change a bit, but I, I do see my work as in, intersectional and diverse, but not in the traditional ways that people approach um, intersectionality, uh, so yeah. Very cool,
0: very cool. And I, I hope maybe you can talk a little more about that soon here. So let me ask you though, so, um, so from the army, right? How long, how long were you in the army?
1: I was in three, three and a little bit over three years.
0: Okay. Okay. So then what was transition like for you coming out of those three years back oh. to, to the civilian world?
1: It was nightmarish because I had unattended uh, my, the, the injuries that I had were not attended to. I was exited out because I reported sexual harassment and this was in the middle of the Gulf War. So I, I I should not have been able to get out because they had a stop loss and there was all this other stuff going on. Um, but it, you know because you know I had become problematic to my you know chain of command because I was reporting you know things going on in the in, that were were not right uh, it was it was made very convenient for me to you know exit even though I had another 18 months on my enlistment. So, it was very challenging. I had a sick daughter by this point, who um, had sickle cell. I had, you know, um, my medical conditions that had not been treated and and even identified. And um, you know, now I'm going back into the civilian sector as a single black woman with medical injuries, and so the, you know the the you know I'm 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 falling into many buckets, many demographics that. You know that the outcomes are not that great, right? Um, so, but I went to school. I was like, "Yep, I got this money. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to take care of my daughter." And so, you know, from that perspective, I had it like like that part. But uh-huh. in the other part, the emotional, social, emotional part, just I was completely disconnected. And so, it would take a number of years because this was '91 um, when I got out, and it would not be until 2008 that I actually began the full process of applying for benefits and, um, you know, seeking appropriate medical care um, for what they had now diagnosed me with is post-traumatic stress. And so, you know, you know, I kind of sped over that kind of process just, you know, cause it was a lot of things going on. Uh, I, I moved to the rural South. Um, from, you know, I'm from South Central LA, so I'm in the rural South. So that was a big shift, right? Right. Uh, so there's all these different challenges. Um, I, like, I went back to that idea of a pebble in the shoe, like some of those things intensified that pebble, right? Right. Um, I got heavily involved in religion and, uh, um, ministry, um, for a number of years. And so there was an area of relief to some degree. And so, you know, um, and I think that that's, you know, you know, that's that seeking part, you know, when you right. get out, it's like, where do I fit? You know, you're just trying to, you know, take your, your peg and trying to fit it into different places and say, is this where I fit? Is this where I fit? Academics was always a natural fit for me. I loved school. I loved going, I loved just the exploration and the, uh, the learning part of it, um, you know, but there was, uh, there was this other idea that you got to get something and stick to it right? That was our time, right? You got to get something and stick to it, right? You can't have all these different things that you want to explore. You got to, you know, hunker down and do one thing. And I, you know, I'm so thankful that this generation has the opportunity to just be explorative. They can, you know, try different things out. They can be whomever they are internally, externally, and live out that, that, that life, um, we didn't have that; <laughs> that wasn't afforded to us. So, um, so yeah, so the, it was very difficult um, to to transition, and people didn't recognize me as a veteran. Um, like I had to advocate for myself. You got to remember, and most of the listeners might not even know this, but when I got out, the women women's you know gendered care wasn't even was was had just been legislated for. Women right. could not go to the VA and get you know still in some places kind of gynecological, you know, care. So and you showing up, there was just a lot of, you know, World War II and Vietnam era veteran men. And so you might be the only woman there maybe getting an x ray or picking up, you know, uh, you know, a prescription. So it was a very, very different time. And so that, you know, compact, you know, that that made it made it more difficult. And it and it also made it more isolated, you know, made it more isolated, uh, right. because, we, of course, we didn't have technology. We can just get on, you know, Facebook and ask a question to right. like our peer group, right? We didn't have peer groups. And so that's, like I said, why, you know, religion became, you know, very, very re- important to me. Um, and studying religion and studying, you know, from that perspective, again, a- academically getting involved right. in those things, <laughs> uh, because that's, you know, that I, it wasn't until last maybe last year that I realized I'm like, this is where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be an academic I, I am an academic. I'm supposed to be in these spaces. And I'm I talk like academics and I, you know, that's why people look at me like I'm a weirdo, because in the general <laughs> population, they're like, well, what is this deep explanation? But in you know, <laughs> academic spaces, everyone is like, Oh, tell me more. And I'm like, Really, <laughs> you wanna know more? So <laughs> Well, you know what I'm talking about. You know you understand.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I've 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 had people prior. I mean, they literally run from me with some of my explanations. They're like, "Can't you just see it in in black and white? And make it easy, like a television soundbite?" And you're like, "No, it's more complex." You know? and They're like, "I don't want to hear it." <laughs> so, so, Bridget, so you you were into the IT realm in the military. Now, when you transition out and, and you take advantage of your benefits, did you stay on that path? Did you, because, because now you're doing instructional design type stuff. So what was that, what was that bachelor's work like? Did you know, or?
1: Yeah, I got sucked in. I, cause I was, you know, I listened to my, my aunt and my, you know, grandma, they were like, you, you know, you can always get a job if you're a nurse. So I, I went to nursing school. I, okay. you know, I did medical office. Mm-hmm. I got a degree in medical office and started taking nursing courses. And, and really I, I would have been a nurse. Um, you know, I had a horrible accident, car accident, and I had to, you know, drop out of my last year of <laughs> nursing courses. And so oh, wow. I completed everything, but my, my last year of clinicals. And so You know, I had enough, um, you know, credits to graduate because I was a double major in psychology and nursing and so I just left with a psychology degree which, you know, afforded me, you know, the opportunity to move in a lot of different spaces. Um, one of which was insurance and um, financial services. And I soared in that space with regulations the uh, regulations, and, you know, uh, trying to make sure things are lined up and, you know, organ- you know, it was just, it just fit. It was just like being in the military, but not, you know, so, <laughs> so I stayed in that field for about 14, uh, 14 or so years while on the other side, you know, like I said, being involved in ministry, you know, on my on my personal private time. So, you know, that worked until um, except my, uh, you know, conditions became, you know, got exacerbated. And, you know, I've, I was like, oh my gosh, how am I back here again, you know, with feeling like this and, and struggling. And, and so I lost my job and went through this whole thing, uh, uh, just, it was just this whole big mess, and and ended up homeless with my children, and so that you know you know propelled me to like take a stop, just stop for a minute, and I applied for a job teaching. Someone told me that a school, my daughter's school, was hiring, and I said, well, let me apply and see if I can you know do that, and I did, and I I worked as a teacher um, there, and then I went and transferred to another um, educational and K twelve. And, you know, uh, I worked with students um, with reading and, um, you know, start the state testing for reading, did all that kind of stuff, got back into computers that way. Um, okay. And then- I was just, gonna ask. Uh, yeah, just started like like my love was computers. And so when I got the first opportunity to go back to um, school, I, you know, I began the process of education technology or uh, back then it was education media design. And I loved it because it was everything of, you know, making podcasts and doing, uh, you know, making these little short clips of things, you know, now they call it chunking. They've got names for everything, which is great. But, you know, we were doing machinima and, 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 you know, playing with video and audio and, and, you know, more of education technology piece than more than the instructional design part.
0: Right. And
1: uh, I had a natural knack for interviewing. My professors, you know, um, were very excited about the work that I was interested in doing, which was connecting military women, military women and veteran utilizing social media as a tool, as a scaffolding to inform and educate and empower, and guess what? I do that now with Women Veterans Social Justice Network. I was about to say, so this is where it starts
0: to to come together, right? Okay, very cool, very cool. So tell us some about that. So that that was that your your master's project that that led you into the nonprofit world?
1: Yeah, I I just I put up a Facebook page, and I thought, well, you know, I had a private page. I put up a a regular Facebook page, because they said, oh, you know, you got to, you got to test this out. And you know, this is, you know, project based research, you got to test it out. So I put up a page and started, you know, posting things. And the pages kept growing exponentially and exponentially. And I was like, oh, this is kind of big. Uh, and then <laughs> it began to take up a lot of my time. And then it began to take up all of my time. Uh, so you know, I, I had some unique opportunities that I that I didn't get to participate in, but it started to show me that you know there was really some a viable you know so there's this entrepreneurial part too right uh, there was showing me that there was this viable product right this right. idea this concept that could be. Um, you know, could be a business. I didn't consider it a, anything to monetize because I was just like, "Oh, I'm just doing this great thing to, for the community, right?"
0: Right. Um,
1: but it 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 quickly, and it still pretty much hasn't been monetized. This is this is my 13th year as a pro bono CEO. Um, all of our uh, people that work with the organization up to this point have been volunteers, so it's it's been a it's been a, a passion project, if you will. But it it was started out of the educational. Um, space out of the education technology space, and, and in the beginning, that's what the organization was—an education technology company—and people okay. just did not understand what I was talking about. They were like, "She's talking about military sexual trauma, and, and education technology, and 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 you know gamified, you know uh, support." <laughs> Programs right. and research and everything, and now we've got you know um, veteran groups on Discord and they're doing research based on those you know so you know I was way ahead of the curve and my pe- my 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 professors you know continually said that um, but I just didn't have the connecting support like I had the academic part but my military and veteran community support was not there to help me you know you know move into. Like really doing the type of work that I was wanting to do at that time, and so now I get a second chance. <laughs> and so you know that's where I'm at now. Um, you know, you know, you know, bridging you know business, entrepreneur, data um, analytics, um, and you know education technology and instructional design using virtual uh, spaces to to informally uh, teach and and um, and and educate you know the community at large. You know, experiential learning, a lot of uh, what happens online, whether we want to pay attention to it or not, people we learn, we teach each other how to treat each other, we teach each other how to engage in the greater community as new, the, you know, um, transitioning uh, uh, veteran or military, like we're, we're, we're doing that, we're, it's informal, but, it, but right. it is, it is a space of like learning, um, and so, you know, I've you know, I pay very close attention to how we we message things and what we post and things like that because we want to build connections, um, which is the intersectional work that I'm doing, uh, versus you know show these lines, you know, where everybody's different.
0: Right, right, and you know, so I'm glad you mentioned that because that's something I think that everyone overlooks is the fact that we're just learning machines, right, and. Yeah. And now in, in this day and age when so much time is spent on the computer, uh, you know, people don't realize, like you said, you're, you're reading a Facebook post, you're taking something away from that. You know, you're building on your, your old learnings and, and you're really diving deeper into that. And I think that's why uh, so many emotions get triggered on these spaces and I think that's why, Because it's almost like you are able to learn, but you're able to learn only from a context that you've had and you might, I might not get the context of the other person. So the fact that you're very mindful of everything that you're posting and putting up there to encourage, you know, the community as a whole, right, right, Right. is very powerful because, you know, I I think we see it in the media all the time. That's something that's typically lost (laughs) in spaces. So I mean this is very, very powerful. so, so Bridget tell us you you decide you want to want to torture yourself with a doctorate and um, I imagine you probably had like an entry interview and they were probably like, okay, what are you interested in researching? That's typically how these things go down and uh, did, were you able? on the onset of entering into your program, kind of telling them what you are interested in researching?
1: Yeah, so of course, you know, yeah, the ideas of universal design and, you know, web 3.0 and, uh, you know, automation and uh, virtual reality and augmented reality are my big babies uh, I get get excited about. Um, and so I was just, you know, like talking about how those, how those things, um, we could how they could be utilized to do what we just talked about: bridge some of these um, gaps in learning, bridge some of these gaps in community, um, and and even you know potentially you know positively impact you know culture and policy at the same time. And so you know education um, you know education is still kind of archaic in the way that we (laughs) enter you know how we do things and so trying to get that part brought up to speed means that we have to educate our educators our academics and so in order to do that you know all these leadership development programs and things of that nature are 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 beautiful and wonderful Uh, they they lack some cultural relevance to like what where we are today. And so if we can get more of those um, into the higher echelons of, you know, the ivory tower or whatever you want to call it, then I think that we, you know, we can, um, you know, definitely impact, you know, culture, but also, you know, prepare the next generation to be, you know, great citizens for this country, right. So there's also that element of, you know, uh, civic engagement uh, uh, that's built into it as well. So you know I probably you know in writing it it's probably way you know I was probably way more eloquent but you know if you could just see it kind of like a mind note of like all of these different these different things but in the center you know is kind of the intersectional uh, uh, pedagogy I guess you would say of how we bring all of these pieces um, so that we can you know accelerate growth and development you know, bridge the, the divides for people, like I say, black and brown people, disabled people and veteran population, because I right. consider the veteran population in one of those. those Absolutely, albums. absolutely. Um, it's, it's,
0: you know, we're talking all military connected population right now. We're talking about like 7.3% of the overall U.S. population. And depending on who's doing the statistics, you know, the veteran population is between two to four percent so yeah, big time, big time minority with a very specific set of life experiences, right?
1: And we spend a lot of money and we are tied to brands as a as a community. Um, so you know, there's a huge opportunity for exploration there, especially as it relates to education and and, and like I said, experiential learning and informal learning. And so the other part of what what I'm wanting to do is to to make sure that the voices of the people that we're talking about these intersection are not left out of the being curators and creators of the next line of products and services as they relate to academic, um, spaces. So um, most people don't know that the, you know, uh, the, all the videos and different things that they see within um, instructional design or education technology spaces it's purchased, right? right. Uh, it's syndicated, right? And the people who are making the um, the money from that business enterprise are not the people who are actually creating the content. We see that right. on TikTok, right? TikTok is a perfect example of how um, you know, black and brown people, disabled people you know, are informing culture and informing uh, learning in uh, different communities, but are not receiving the same type of you know, uh, uh, positive you know, financial, they're not reaping the benefits of their labor. And so that's happening in instructional design uh, because when you want a picture of a person in a wheelchair, a picture of a person uh, of color in a uniform, You're paying two or three hundred dollars for that one picture. Where other pictures now, you know, now that it's 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 an important part that you have to you know play in 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 designing, uh, uh, you know, instructional content. Now it's become this uh, commodified, you know, monetized, very expensive product. But the people who are in those pictures, I'm sure, did not get paid, you know. Like, continually for that for that picture to be out there, or the person who created that digital content, same thing. So you know that is a an area that I really want to begin to explore as well. I don't know how all those pieces will tie in. Excuse me, but those were some of the things that I talked about in um, in my interview. My advisor is great, is wonderful. Uh, uh, she's you know she's on the cusp. These are some of the things that she's you know focused on, but uh, in the K through 12 space, more, more, more so. Uh, but I'm learning a lot. I've learned a lot just in the past, um, you know, seven weeks. And so I'm just looking forward awesome. to, you know, continuing that growth and development. And so I'm hoping we'll have another conversation and I'll have some more <laughs>
0: <Heck> <laughs> some yeah. more
1: information to, to share with you about this, this, you know, bleeding edge research that I'll be doing uh, within yeah. the academic space.
0: Yeah, I would love, I would love that. And I would love to, to see and hear what you've got. And I mean, I, you know, and my first thought here is not only are you going to have research, but it sounds like you can emerge from this with research and a product. Right. You know, I, I don't know if that was your intentions, but
1: it's okay. Okay. (laughs) I'm working on it. This seems like something (laughs) right.
0: That's going to, that's going to turn tangible fast and, uh, You can use your research as a way to validate, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And I love, you know, so I think it's so important and and we have a wide age demographic of listeners on the show. And I I think what you're doing is very smart because, you know, when we talk about all the populations you want to reach, but for our listeners, you know, we talk about this younger generation, this Post Iraq and Afghanistan generation. I mean, we're talking about people that are digital natives. Yes. Right. They didn't stand in formation and were bored like we were. They stood in formation and looked at their phone. Right. So the way you're planning on reaching audiences uh, is is right on because the, I mean the number one thing you know you got to make sure a, a learner's comfortable right they feel safe and comfortable then after that you got to meet them where they are right. And, and your very approach uh, is the approach, I think, that digital natives would take over a lecture where somebody is standing in front of a, a chalkboard or a PowerPoint, you know? Yeah. Probably for lots of good reasons.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and I it's funny because even in my workshops, I, I freak everyone out because I have a lot of government uh, employees. And I tell them to take out their phones, turn them on. And they're like... Take out my phone. I'm like, we're gonna be using this hashtag today. We're gonna, to and I'm gonna to explain to you what a hashtag is and how to, you know, you know how to digitally locate this conversation online. And 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 they're like, I thought this was a workshop on how to how to get more membership. And I'm like, it is, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but I'm gonna show you how to do it in a different a, a different way. And so, uh, you know, I'm always about like like there are pictures of me speaking with me holding my cell phone. So I, I'm always wanting to connect, but I'm always wanting to show other people how to do that, how to be connected and stay connected. And I think for the veteran population, that it's, that's important because we have this, you know, the suicide rate is what it is. We have people in isolation feeling like they have been left behind or, are that, you know, you know, that, that, they don't their lives don't matter, that they don't have anything to offer. And as a woman who is disabled, who was on a walker at one point, and, you know, really thought that I didn't have anything to, to offer. I'm sitting here sa- telling you that, you know, you do, you have something to offer. It's just an a- opportunity for a mentor or, or someone to work with you to help you, you know, dig it out and polish it a little bit. And then, you know, give it give it back to you so that you can take it and and run with it. Um, so it's this is a this is a great time. It's a great time for um, for learning. It's a great time to build the the veteran and military population, and it's a great time for academics to really um, roll up our sleeves and you know uh, bring up the next generation of uh, hopefully future academics, but other business leaders um, to you know you know across all sectors. Um, this is really a great opportunity. And now we have technology to help us you know, run faster and, and be smarter about the way that we do it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And navigate those, uh, in-person, uh, work from home shifts, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> that we've experienced and that I, I fear is going to be on the horizon again really soon, but, mm-hmm. but you're right. I mean, technology has got to bridge that for all of us in all spaces, right. Yeah, but,
1: for good and not evil. Right. <laughs> right. right, Exactly. Exactly.
0: Exactly. So, Bridget, can you tell us a little bit about what you've got going on now, like your work with a non, or your current work with a nonprofit? I know you guys just received a, a, a lot of recognition. I don't want to let the cat out of the bag. I'll let you tell it. But Can you talk some about that, and then uh, maybe some of the work that you've got? going on with your nonprofit and anything you're doing uh, as far as research that you can talk about with our listeners.
1: So yes, we were um, the nonprofit, uh, the work that I had been doing for the 13 years, uh, the Congressional Medal of Honor Society had gotten a recommendation from one of our advisors uh, to, to honor me for the work that I've been doing. But like you said, the most of the work has been with the Women Veterans Social Justice Network. And so the society extended the medal um, for, uh, you know, community engagement for uh, the civics honors um, to the organization. And so women veteran social justice network received a medal for um, the work that we do supporting uh, military and veteran women in the community using technology of all things. So (laughs) we're a virtual organization for the 13 years. We've been remote for 13 years. Uh, we've ha- hosted two um, nationally recognized uh, conferences. We've gotten letters from you know the presidents, uh, from uh, local and city you know um, political uh, folks, nationally and locally. So we've we've gotten like you know like civilian recognition, so to speak. Right. But this was huge because this you know it was the Congressional Medal of Honor recipients who. Um, you know, convened to, you know, over hundreds or even thousands of applications and wow. recommendations. And we were chosen out of that. That is awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. We're in the same category. Thank you. The same category as uh, uh, the Sunisi Foundation, right? So, wow. it's nice, so yeah, I was like, okay. I think, I think we've gotten honored and welcomed and recognized now. We, we've, we've got it. We can move on.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's cool. So how did it feel? How did it feel when you were accepting the award? And, and what, you know, cause I know there's a big banquet, right? Yes, involved yes. And, and it's like a black tie affair. And yes, yes. What, what was that like?
1: Well, it was amazing because, you know we were first so it was like they had okay. us first so it hadn't really sunk in so i was just thinking about like okay you got to go up there you got to hold this and everything um but after we came off the podium and i saw the young men and and women who were getting the medals pinned on their neck it it really sunk in that <clears throat> you know that that one I'm part of a family with the society now. And then two, that, you know, my brothers who, who, you know, received the, you know, the the Medal of Honor, you know, had put their finger on us and said, you know, this meets our standard. And, you know, we want to make sure that from a community, because, you know, as a civilian, you don't get the Medal of Honor, but as a a civilian, we are going to give this honor to this organization for the work that Bridget has been doing to make it, make it happen. Right. So that gives me
0: goosebumps just hearing
1: that. Yeah. Yeah, It it was like, okay. So, uh, you know, so again, I'm saying to people, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. Yes. Those things hurt the things you went through the challenges being away from family. If you experienced some other type of trauma, um, harassment or anything like that, like, yes, those things hurt. At the same time, you don't have, you you can you can move on and still impact, you know you know for generations. This is not something that's just like wave your hand and it's over, right? You know, like this is generations. This is this will go into the history books. We you know we've continued to do that that level of work and now being recognized. And so, you know as. They go forward and they educate the next generation because that's what the, the the society does is they do civic engagement and go into schools and things like that. We have this huge platform again as academics <clears throat> to like access that community and shift the perspective about veterans and the next you know you know digital native creator can come out of that. The next person with you know a cure for some you know incurable disease could come out of it like all of those things we have an opportunity to really impact um, the next generation on so many different levels and so for me that was that that was like the pin in it because I'm about you know the I have this idea about you know impacting seven generations like I only want to be involved in things that are impacting the next seven generations and so there are some things that I do not participate in directly, I might get someone else involved, but it's because I wanna know that at the end of it, this is going to you know, um, shift culture in a way that in seven generations, even if they don't know my name, they'll be impacted positively by the work that I've, I've participated in. And so that's a lofty goal. <laughs> That's powerful, though. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lofty goal, but that's that's where I that's where I I I sit. That's where I'm centered.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. And I mean, you know, you you've you've mentioned the entrepreneurial venture side of the things you do. You know, we've we've got to have a good return on investment, right? So seven generations is a pretty good return on investment. Yeah, Yeah. that's awesome. I love it. I love it. So Brigitte. future the future for you what do you see what do you see as, as the future and you can answer you your organization your your work after you're done with your doctorate however you see fit
1: yeah I I really see myself being creative as I've always been um you know potentially creating uh written works plays and um you know uh because that's a whole nother area of of you know interest of mine I know you know uh. Travis uh and and I've worked with Travis in the past and so you know military experience in the arts and and utilizing arts as a way to compel people to listen to what you have to say so those types of things are, are, are you know in my interest uh so um, I'm working with musical uh creatives Jason Moon and creating helping to create music uh, okay. uh yeah and in the past I've worked <clears throat> with Thomas uh with the WarHorse, you know, to to bring those narratives, uh, journalistic narr- narratives forward. So it's like I'm going to continue to do those types of things. Moral injury. Um, I I don't know specifically. I just know that um, when some there's something about it, it. It it I can I can hear it like a sound. Like okay, this is something I need to be a part of. Um, and and I may not be able to run the whole race with that person, but I can at least get them started help to fuel other people to get involved and then you know um you know see kind of my fingerprint on it but know that uh it's going to move forward you know in a way that's going to support the community at a larger at a larger uh space that i could have done individually and so if you if I can go back and answer that, I would say collaborating and working intersectionally, continuing to collaborate and work intersectionally. That's going to be where where I'm at. And that could take me anywhere. Hey, I, you know, I could be working, you know, uh, with technology, I could be working in banking and finance, I could be working in academics and entrepreneurs. I mean, the, the pretty much the sky's the limit. And I hope that you know the listeners take away from this message that. You know, um, not so much that if I could do it, they can do it, but the potentiality um, that of what's available and, and about, you know, inquiry and, and searching and seeking what suits you. And when you seek and find what suits you, it it, it explodes your potentiality. You can go in any area that you choose because it, it's, you know, the, you have the capacity to do those things. It's just finding the right thing to put your hand to, Right. And so, um, the other part is probably going to be mentoring and coaching. Cause that's like a huge passion. Uh, so I do that with Veterarty, you know, um, when I have a break and I do that with my nonprofit and we, you know, people call me and they like, I'm stuck. And I, you know, give them a 30, 40 minute conversation and hopefully they can, you know, run with that, you know, that it, it, it removes the, the, the things that are, uh, holding them back so they can be successful in whatever space they wanna be successful in. And I think that that's another area of research is veterans, you know, the, where we're having success and where we're, where the pitfalls are. And if we take and intersect those two topics and really dig down, because everybody wants to talk about, oh, these are the successes and, blah, 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 blah. and that's great, but I think we could improve the success rate by you know really drilling down from like a customer discovery perspective of like what is going on where the where there's a disconnect for the people who are not being successful like where is that disconnect like if we could get down into that um from a research perspective and not be so hyper focused on you know showing our positive results (laughs) we could really get to like solving some core issues within uh, the military and veteran populations, and even up to and including the fam- military family and the civilian population. Because what I've found is a lot of the work that I've done has, um, you know, has implications to cross over outside of the veteran population mm-hmm. into other, um, uh, other populations and, and, and be beneficial um, to, to their, those population success.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, that's something I think people don't realize too, we talk about the veteran population. I mean, you yeah, you're talking about that experience, but there's also so many other experiences attached to that, right. And families and, you know, just uh, social networks and all, all these different people, I mean, have their own slice of the pie, right. And yeah. it, it's so big. Well, Brigitte, today's been wonderful. Uh, I'm, I'm so happy for you and your organization. Again, congratulations.
1: Thank you. And
0: I, I love hearing about all the work. And, and you know, it, it's just obvious how your experiences and your, your time in the military and everything is kind of just coming all together. Right. And yeah. that's very exciting and, and very beautiful. So thank you for sharing everything with uh, me and all of our listeners today.
1: Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: Absolutely. So ladies and gentlemen, today we have been joined by Bridget McCoy and I'm Dr. Luke McLeese. This has been another episode of Veterans and Academics. We thank you for your support. We thank all of you for listening. Veterans in Academics is an all veteran production of Freedom and Prosperity Think Tank. Content creation is brought to you by Dr. Luke McCleese and Dr. Michael Bevers. Web development is by Osvaldo Vargas.